Hello and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 7. I'm one of your hosts, Hector Marrero. And I'm Kip Clark. And today our topic is about space, spaces around us. Quick story, just last month I was in California and I was on, you know, the Pacific Ocean in Monterey and there was a sea lion about 15 feet away from me. He was just floating in the water. That's actually irrelevant to the story, but he was really cute. But the one thing that really struck me really strongly at that point was I was standing barefoot on the sand right up against the water and when I looked straight out into the ocean, I realized I was looking at two things. I was looking at the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, and I was looking at the sky. And I realized that, you know, at that moment, I was looking at two of the biggest physical things that exist that we that we know of, the sky, space, and the ocean. And another really amazing effect was as the water would rush past my feet, it felt really nice, but when it rushed back into the water, it felt as if the earth were rushing from under my feet and as if I were floating in this really, um, you know, cool way. But I personally have always been interested in spaces and, and the things around us. And I think in part, it's that space, you know, space is something that I don't think we talk about that often, but it, it's everywhere. One of the spaces that really has an attachment to people, to individuals, is the bedroom space. That's where an individual should feel at most comfortable. They put up their posters, they put up their most beloved possessions, and that's where we, you know, lay down, and that's where we fall asleep, and that's where we dream. I've shared a bedroom with my brother my entire life, at least back at home. I've had bedroom spaces in high school and in college that have varied in sizes, and those are sort of pods, but I think the, the bedroom at my home is always the little epicenter. I think my bedroom is where I've imagined or had, you know, dreams about space and, you know, rooms the most often. I remember being a young person and imagining that my house had more rooms. It had secret rooms. I always imagined what the room looked like. We had a door that lead to the, led to the roof, and in fact it's still there, but it's since been asphalted over. We had the roof redone, and so the opening that leads to the roof is actually completely sealed shut. So I was never able to see my roof. But I just realized that, you know, space is so strongly tied to the imagination. And I wanted to ask you what you feel about your own bedroom. I think we can go out from there and talk about, you know, space. I have a lot of thoughts on my bedroom in particular. And of course, to our audience, we invite you to join in the discussion. What are you thinking about when we discuss the bedroom as a space, other spaces, and how we interact with them, how we conceive of them. But with my bedroom, I usually have a very Spartan design. You talk about posters on the walls and stuff. I rarely have posters or other art. People have commented on it before and said, you're not really decorating very much. I don't know why it's... And this is at home? Both at home, but mostly at school, where more, more people have, have been in my room at home when people were over. I didn't really have them in my bedroom that much. But it is interesting how we, how we design our bedrooms or how we 
organize them. I've always had very scattered rooms that I live in. My bed is usually not made. My nightstand usually has numerous things on my phone. is usually charging somewhere nearby. But it's like a representation of your mind in a way. And I don't mean that in an artistic sense at all. I think legitimately the way we perceive the world is how our bedroom, our space is organized. We, yeah. we have full control over it. We decide where to put the bed. Typically, and this is interesting to me now that I think about it, I put my bed furthest from the door and I'm only now just realizing that, but my bed is always as far as possible from the entry of the room and I wonder psychologically what that might say about me. But yeah, my bed's usually far from the door, usually facing the door. So if I sat up in bed, I'd be looking at the entryway to the room, usually against a corner. I've never had my bed sticking out in the middle of a room, but I don't usually have very much in my rooms. Maybe a desk, definitely a space for clothing, some of which is scattered everywhere. My mom would scold me and should do so for my poor organization of clothes, which are unfolded, scattered everywhere. But there's a lot of things in any space that I have, usually a lot of knickknacks and sort of junk that I've failed to organize, but I will hit moments of wanting to organize them and really go hard for an hour just organizing my space. Bedrooms are very interesting. Usually mine is in a state of chaos. I don't spend much time in my bedroom here at Kenyon. The time I spend in my bedroom is not usually devoted to work. It's usually leisure, relaxing, checking Facebook, checking YouTube or whatever relaxing, maybe calling a friend or two, but the space is very interesting. I think we touched upon a point in one of our earlier podcasts about, I think it was in the distraction podcast, I was talking about clutter and how physical clutter can affect, you know, at least me personally, how effective I am at working and how effective I am at, you know, completing tasks. And I think it is the bedroom space that is the one that I think about most often. If I have clothes strewn about in my room, which, you know, is often the case, I will find that it's almost as if it's like a little string that's attached to my mind and it's always there as long as my room is a mess I'm always going to have that I'm always going to be thinking about it at some point Mm -hmm. Um, it's always going to be distracting me Uh, another quick story when I was in Rome there was this park called Gianicolo and Gianicolo is high up on this hill and from that hill you can see all of Rome it's really a gorgeous view but you can see all the buildings and everything it's almost as if it's a scale model and it's all in the distance and everything looks very small and it made me think about what happens to the mind of a child for example who lives in a place like that where they get to see that view let's just assume that this person goes there every weekend with their family what happens to the mind when it sees this scale you know mountains in the distance the the city that they walk around completely small similarly how does you know how is the mind of somebody who lives in an apartment in um, Manhattan or the Bronx or you know New York City or Boston or Chicago there is a, a difference in the scale that you see if you live on the top floor cars and people look like dots and and little playthings I find it interesting that you know we have these different scales and then you go out west for example in like California you have a lot more mountainous areas and you look at you know entire cities and everything you know looks small and you know you have cities that are much smaller and everything's at the same elevation and so you don't get this distance you don't get this huge scale 
and that's actually the the case in my neighborhood my neighborhood you know there is no real elevation there are a few buildings in the distance it was just this curiosity that I have of you know how is it that these different scales affect the human mind for me it's it's the sense of wonder I I think you know my goodness you know the humans built all these things at the same time I think about you know the size of mountains in the distance and it's incredible the scale and the sizes of things always boggle my mind and in fact I brought up the story the other day but just going out to the NCAs in Kenyan and watching as people left their houses to look at the clouds on one particularly beautiful sunset people were still coming outside to see this marvelous you know natural formation and I think that's really fascinating Definitely. I think larger spaces are very interesting, especially because I believe it's a natural human tendency to stamp or project one's personality onto the spaces in which they're living or occupying. And I think that's why bedrooms are particularly interesting because you see someone's bedroom or their typical living spaces, Mm -hmm. you can get a sense of who they are, how they organize their thoughts, maybe based on how they organize their, their house. And I think that with larger spaces, they're especially fascinating because it's impossible to stamp your personality on something so large. A friend of mine took a cross-country road trip this summer and talked about how beautiful the Grand Canyon was. And I was thinking about it and wondering, okay, well, I've never seen the Grand Canyon like he has, but why is it so beautiful? Why are spaces like that so interesting? And, And the conclusion I came to be it right or wrong, is that people want to see themselves elsewhere, want to see themselves in nature, in in other things. It's why we make art. It's why we we sculpt and, and do all those things related to artistry. And I think that with large spaces, you can't stamp yourself into the sky, into the night sky that's smattered with stars. You just can't put yourself into those stars. And so you see this thing or these large spaces, and they project upon you. They impress you with their grandeur and their size and their brilliance because they're too large to really conceive of, and I think that's why we sort of stand in a state of awe. Regarding a city that you can see, like Rome from that hill, and the name of the park again? Gianicolo. Gianicolo. I think it's it's really interesting that someone might be able to see that every week and sort of get a sense of the city that they live in and how big it really is, and I think it's, it's helpful. I think people should take the time, if there are vantage points near living spaces, to really see from a different perspective sort of where they're living, what spaces they're occupying on a large scale. Because I have my bedroom here at Kenyon, you have your bedroom here at Kenyon, but we, we visit academic buildings, we visit the dining hall. You, you live, in a sense, in a much larger space than a bedroom, although it's maybe the most intimate space in which you live. But I'm really glad you brought up larger spaces. I think the view from Gianicolo, I think, was very impressive on me because I'd never been to Rome before. I'd never been to Europe before. And I think seeing the city, you know, seeing all this all this history in just one small space, you know, all visible to my eye at once was, you know, marvelous and majestic in, I guess, the same exact way as, you know, somebody visiting New York for the first time perceives it from perhaps the Staten Island Ferry or the ferry that goes over to the Statue of Liberty. Here is this piece of land just with all these massive, actually massive metal structures. And not just that, but New York City, for example, is is such an old and such a, it's one of the original cities. And so that on its own has, you know, this marvelous history that makes people wonder and say, wow, that is incredible. That is incredible to look at. Yeah, I think something we're touching upon or maybe skirting around here is that spaces are visually accessible to us. It's, mm-hmm. it's what we see usually mm-hmm. that helps us conceive what a space is. And I think that although I don't dance, dancers have a very interesting perception of space because they move through it in a way that the rest of us don't always. I'd be interested to hear about a, a dancer's perspective on what, what space is, how you operate in space, because the rest of us, be it a photographer or a person on top of a hill, 
looking down or looking out. It's what your eye catches. And with a dancer, it's sort of what your body catches, where your toes go when you're spinning around and moving, where your arms go, where you fit into that space. And I really, really think that, that space invites us to be more than just visually interactive with it. Yeah. But you were talking about New York City, and I apologize for the interruption. No, no, no. I actually want to skip to another point. And I actually want to talk about how wide expanses of space, I think, are so important to us, I think, as a species. And I think that shows... I, I was thinking about Harry Potter. And the story of Harry Potter, it starts off that he lives in a cupboard under the stairs, right? And he is this he is this boy who, you know, he, he's been adopted by these awful people. But the fact that he He's living in a cupboard under the stairs. He's living in this claustrophobic space. This is his living space. But where does he go to? He goes to Hogwarts, a building that's so big that it has, you know, a Cerberus. I'm sorry, you, and it, you know, well, and it has a dining hall that doesn't have a ceiling. That's the ceiling right. is yeah. is sort of a night sky. There's an actual ceiling, but the perception of that expanse of of space, I think, is really key to what we're talking about. Yeah, and it has, you know, there's the room of requirement, which is introduced later on, which is the space that, you know, it's a room that exists only when you need it. It has literally space for, you know, this massive three-headed dog. You you can have mysteries inside this building because it is so huge. And I think that says a lot about the human psyche or something, that there is this desire to go to places where we really aren't that sure how big it is or our our imagination has room to fill in more spaces everything about that building from the the staircases to the secret rooms to the size of it it's just it's absolutely fascinating because there's always something to explore there's always something to be seen and i think that even connects back to these majestic natural landscapes outer space new york city each of these places has so much space that we will in an individual is not likely to see every single space for example and an individual is not going to go into New York City and visit every single room, every single opening in the subway, every single maintenance tunnel, every single, you know, <laughs> space. There are millions of, upon millions, if not many, many more spaces, each with completely different functions. And I think that a city provides the imagination with that room to play around. And maybe, you know, with stories, that is necessary. We need this space for our imagination to go. And you see it in... in in any other film, for example, Star Wars, he's on Tatooine, he's on a single planet, and then he meets Ben Kenobi, C-3PO and R2-D2 come along, and all of a sudden he's traveling through space for the first time in his entire life. He's traveling through the expanses of outer space where civilization, you know, is on different planets. And he's going through hyperspace and traveling millions of miles at a time. Lord of the Rings, you have Frodo Baggins in the Shire, a beautiful little town, but then he goes out to the, this world which is full of, you know, cities like Minas Tirith, mm -hmm. which are these massive stone man-made spaces. But again, these cities or these areas have many spaces which are left for the imagination to fill in. And I think it's fascinating. I think, you know, space has a huge part to do with our imagination. It has a huge part in our, our story building. But I don't think that it's often breached upon. I don't think it's often talked about. Definitely. Yeah. I think there's something noble about exploring space. I think storytellers for centuries have been communicating ideas of, of exploring space, not necessarily in an outer space sense, but going out, being human in exploration. I think it's it's an element of our personalities that people have been aware of for, for a long time because we we like to go out and move. I think that's why claustrophobia is a fear of ours because we don't like to feel trapped and we feel most trapped are 
in one way we feel very trapped when we don't have space to move because we're very mobile. I think what I talked about with dancing earlier is, is a similar or related point that we like to move. We like to feel mobile. We like to feel like we have freedom to go places and space gives us some of that sense. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about for a second the rules of certain spaces and maybe how that affects, you know, our way of being or our way of interacting with spaces. I'm thinking of two things right now. One, I'm thinking about Michelangelo's David, which is in Florence. I can't remember the name of the museum, but I'm sure, I'm very sure that there is a lot of security around that place all the time. But even if there wasn't, I feel that people would be relatively careful. They wouldn't approach the building too quickly. They wouldn't climb the windows, for example. They wouldn't try to sneak into the building at least most people wouldn't I think there are all these rules that end up getting attached to these spaces another space that I was thinking about is somewhere out there I guess Fort Knox you have Mm -hmm. I don't know how much gold I'm assuming that there's like a lot of gold a lot of actual physical bullions I think is the word uh, of gold which it's incredible to imagine that but then you know on top of that one area that has all this gold I would assume that there are layers upon layers of security surrounding that space whether it's thick thick concrete walls people you know surrounding it another interesting space to imagine or to contemplate is where for example world leaders are taken let's just take this example scenario where you are in a end of world-ish type scenario where there are bombs being thrown around all around the world where would you know the president of the united states go i'm assuming that there is a very very secure bunker for him somewhere and it's just there are all these spaces and again you know it's it's just this incredible thing because all of a sudden the human imagination has all this room to play with and all these things to imagine here i am just talking about earth but earth is floating around the sun in this you know solar system in this galaxy in the milky way galaxy in our entire universe and our universe is so big it's 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 impossible for our minds at this moment to fathom how large and how quickly space is expanding but i think it connects back to this idea of exploring the west and it was you know in america people wanted to go out to the west because here was this place with all these different landscapes and all these different forms of nature and animals and people were exploring it and here we have in real life in our reality space which is as star trek calls it the final frontier and I, I just think it's this beautiful thing because it allows our human imagination to to keep exploring and if you don't have anything to say about that or unless you have anything to say about that yeah i definitely have some things to say i believe carl sagan once quoted someone <laughs> As arguing very meta. <laughs> that, yeah, that astronomy is a character building and, and humbling experience in his pale blue dot speech. And I think it's, it's interesting that on some level, exploration makes us bigger. It mm-hmm. makes us feel more powerful, more in tune with the universe and ourselves and more capable, if I haven't already said that. But I also think that seeing the grandeur, the, the scope of something else can make you feel smaller and not necessarily in a bad way, but to sort of bring you back to your roots, to remind you that you're one of 7 billion, soon to be perhaps 8, 9 or 10 billion people on this planet, which is, of course, as you said, a part of our solar system, which is a part of our galaxy and so on. It can be interesting. Maybe there's a, a fine line, a balance that needs to be struck where you're exploring a large space, but it hasn't yet made you feel insignificant or inconsequential. 
but I definitely think outer space is interesting, probably a topic on which we will speak one day. Yeah, probably. So the final thing I wanted to bring up, Kip, was this idea of shared spaces versus private property. Shared spaces being parks, being lobbies and buildings, art galleries. In our case, academic buildings where we can all, you know, walk through and we can study in. We're lucky enough to have a lot of woods off our campus, including the space called the BFEC. To our listeners, the BFEC is the Brown Family Environmental Center. Kenyon owns about 380 or 480 acres of land around the campus. And that's not only for, you know, the Kenyan students, but it's also for the community. But I think it's interesting on Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, sometimes I wake up and I see that there's all this, you know, stuff, garbage strewn around the campus. Would you like to talk about shared spaces or private spaces or, you know, our, our roles in between each one? I would love to. I think it's interesting, especially because we've talked about exploration and sort of the individual level of maybe not seeing spaces as divided into privacy, that, that there are bounds, that you can't just go anywhere, that there are fences and borders to spaces that we try and keep some people out just as much as we try and keep ourselves in. And I think that in public spaces, the parks and such that we all share, it's interesting to see how people treat the public space. And and I think you get a sense of how responsible people feel for the spaces that we share. I think on a Saturday or a Sunday morning at Kenyon, you can often see garbage beer cans, beer bottles sort of strewn about. And it's not horrible to those who have not been to Kenyan before. It's nothing devastating or horrid. But I do feel sorry for the groundskeepers who have to take care of it because, Mm -hmm. frankly, they shouldn't have to. But I'm sure that's true in other places. People litter. Litter is on the highway. Litter is in a lot of places. But aside from the human element of of trash disposal, that it's it's indicative of how we treat space, that, that space is sort of considered to be public unless it's said otherwise that it's like the innocent until proven guilty concept that we unless we're told we can't go somewhere i think often are willing to just sort of explore and and go places and then there's a sign or a an angry individual telling us well you can't come in here Mm -hmm. you don't belong or that they'll shoot you if you on their property there's danger in that Mm -hmm. you can absolutely run into a lot of horrifying situations in which you trespass and people take it very seriously because property, like we said before, it's something that you come to identify with your person. Despite its size, I think it explains things like mansions and estates. You clearly do not need, biologically, so much space, but people constantly take up a ton of space. I'm guilty of that. My house is far larger than a space in which I could comfortably live in good health. And I think public space is a very interesting idea, shared space as well. And it's really cool when you see people come together in a public space. I talked about the negatives of littering or other malignant behavior in a public space, but when people come together with murals or other public demonstrations that are peaceful or just gatherings of people when it's organized and and fluid, you see how people treat that space. And it's often, when not disrespectful, it's often in a tone of reverence that I really admire and respect that you see people unifying with the space, using the space to their advantage. Things like amphitheaters are really cool when you're out in nature and you sort of take advantage of the topography. I think public space can be a really beautiful thing. It's it's nature's shape that we come to adopt and use for our own purposes, whereas private spaces we, of course, sculpt to our own design. It's 
It's very interesting. What do you think about public and shared spaces? You brought up the topic of, you know, seeing garbage strewn about the campus. I think that there is a different connection that comes about if you have a personal connection with the space or if you feel like there is a separation. I'm, I'm interested in, you know, I, I remember reading somewhere that humans, I think biologically, are a village-centric species or, you know, that we were kind of evolved in such a way as to desire and to work in a village setting or in a family setting to work with others in a space. I'm interested in spaces, for example, in New York, they just built the High Line or they've just built the most recent addition to the High Line. I think the High Line is now completed and it used to be this overground train track that has now been re-sculpted and redesigned to be this green park space, which is over the streets of Manhattan. And so it's interesting to see how people react to these open spaces spaces. At the same time, I do see that there is disconnect to, you know, to spaces or this feeling of, you know, this isn't mine and so I don't have to take care of it. I don't have any responsibility for it. And that often happens, you know, in public spaces, for example, parks or beaches, depending on, you know, from city to city, from country to country, you'll have some places where garbage is just thrown everywhere, strewn everywhere. You have some places in the world where there are towns that are just, you know, absolutely filled with garbage. And I think it's fascinating to think about how we allocate space. What I'm trying to get at is that a lot more thought has to be put into how we use our space. You said that, you know, our population is growing and it might reach a point where it is 10 billion people. And we we are in a moment unique in history where there have never been this many people on our earth as there are now. And we're going to have even more in the future. And so how do we allocate the limited amount of land that we have for everyone? I think these are just questions that I, I'm really curious. I have no answers for them. It's more of a curiosity. And I suppose that this is a good time to tell our listeners to please contribute. If you have any ideas, if you've been studying, you know, the allocation of space for people or you have anything to talk about on the subject, please write in. Our Twitter handle is at stride n saunter. That's n, not and. Our website is strideandsaunter.com. You can also email us at strideandsaunter at gmail. Com. And finally, you can visit our Facebook page at Stride and Saunter. I think that's all for today. Again, we invite you to participate in this discussion. This is open to the public and we desire your comments. We desire your criticisms. We desire your responses. And yeah, Kip. As Hector said, if you have any expertise in some of the things that we're talking about, if you are a dancer or maybe even an architect or an aspiring architect who certainly deals with space, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking about our conversation? What points would you add? And maybe what conversations have you had about space and related topics? We would love to hear from you. Please let us know. And of course, if you liked our podcast today, please share it with friends, share it with family, share it with anyone you think might enjoy partaking or listening to this conversation. We would absolutely love that. And if you didn't enjoy our podcast, which is of course okay, we understand, please let us know. Write us an honest review. Tell us why we didn't meet your expectations or what we could have done better. We want to know. We want to improve this podcast. And as Hector said, that is our episode. So as always, in closing, we thank you very much for listening. It means a lot to us. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And my name is Hector Marrero. My middle name is Lewis.